Lad ministro shatus pardon peti por la impertinenta remarkoi farita pri esperanto dum la pasinta semainoi podcaston. Ni shatus certigi nian aus coltantoi ke la partioi respondetas estes maldungita. This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 89, recorded Tuesday, September 27th, 2016, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York, New York, home of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> right. Brought from Harrods in London in 1921 for A.A. A. Milne's son, Christopher. This was a real thing. Winnie the Pooh was presented to the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue in 1987, where he still lives today, along with 8 million people who live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy. Today's podcast is brought to you by... Inuktitut, the premier language of the Arctic and one of Nunavut's three official languages, Inuktitut is spoken by 34,000 Inuit people. Today's podcast is also sponsored by National Voter Registration Day. Every individual, regardless of wealth or heritage, has the same opportunity to vote and create honest change. As long as you're American, go to www.votelz.org. That's like votes. Wait, is that really the website? .org. That is actually it. I'm sorry. I just looked at the pictures of all the nice young San Francisco people that made votepools.org. And they're all ridiculously attractive. It's neither here nor there. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or if it's politically correct, but let's move on. On today's podcast, the usual crew, Vice President of Community Product, Jay Hanlon. Good afternoons. VP of Engineering, David Florten. Hi. And our news editor is Ilani Yitzchaki. Howdy. I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. Welcome back, you guys. Good to be back. Yes. Thanks. Great to be back, Joel. <sighs> okay. I got a complaint. Oh, no. I just want to lead up with this. This morning, for the first time, I was listening to music using my new iPhone 7 device, which is recently upgraded to iOS 10. Your cell phone plays music? Yes, it's this amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> this is, well, first of all. Does it flip also? Does it do both? No, How does it, it do it? Flip. What? <laughs> what do you mean by flip? I like, just remember when it was amazing when your phone did like a second thing. Like, oh my God, this phone can send text too. Right. Like, it's called a feature phone. It's it like multiple calling features. someone, but without talking. Yeah. <laughs> to be real, I used to carry around a phone and an MP3 player because sure. I had a, there was a phone, I think it was the Nokia E61, which had an MP3 player built in, but in between every song, like when it finished playing song three from the album and started playing song four from the album, it turned on and off the, like the connection. It, it closed the connection to the earbuds and then made a very loud popping sound. Oh, that's the word. Right. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. Very yeah, loud yeah, yeah. click sound as if you just plugged in your yep. earphones. Yep. And that happened between every song. And so it would be like, you'd be listening to, and it would just sort of drive you nuts. Wait, then how would it go next? And then it would make you essentially <laughs> you okay. It would make you essentially mad. And it was just unusable as an MP3 player, which is weird. I literally it's what I traditionally call snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, where you have something that really pretty much plays MP3 music and that's quite a miracle. And then at the very last minute they actually make it unusable by making it play loud pops in between the songs. You can see the meeting when someone was like, hey, this is great, but there's yeah. not really any pops. Like, how do you even know when it's changing? <laughs> what if it's a concert oh. and you don't know when they're switching songs? Yeah. Get a designer to make it pop. That was, <laughs> wow. Make it That's pop. a callback to a prior episode. That this is getting- Callback to episode 88. This is sophisticated comedy writing here. But that's not what I'm complaining about. What I'm complaining about is that I went and uh, logged onto the music app and it's been completely redesigned. Have you used this? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody uh, listen to I, music I, on yeah, an iPhone? I, I think I've, I've no. seen it. I've seen it. I have an Android. It's still like a big screen. It says like for you and something, right? No. No? Okay. 
Listen, it has what it normally has, which is a button that says songs and a button that says artists and a button that says album. Playlist. And playlist, yeah. And each of those things gives you a list of the things that it said it was going to give you a list of. That makes sense. So far, I'm with you. This yeah. seems like a good design. Okay, so when you click on songs, they are sorted by what? Alphabetical order by song title. No, no. the year that the composer, not the singer, <laughs> but the composer was born. The year that the composer was born, correct. No, actually, it's sorted by the name of the artist no matter what. If you go into songs, you get all the songs. Sorted by the name of the artist, and they printed the name of the artist real small above each song, so you can see why it's sorted. So no matter way. what you want to hear, it's always ABBA, basically, at the beginning. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. And then you go album, and it's like, all right, here's all the songs from ABBA's albums. This makes no sense, because why would you have... So we're complaining about the sort order. That's a bit redundant. Wait, but so let me just tell you... But let me why tell you... even have a feature of sort by something if you're not going to sort by it? This can get worse. When I go to my car, and I plug my phone into my car, there's a little thing, and it's like, hey, I found your phone. You probably want to listen to some music. Yeah. And the car is all kinds of, it's got this right. intelligence. It, right. it knows things. It figures it out. It doesn't ask me. It just does. Yeah. And what it does every single time when you plug in a phone, it, it, assumes, the same song. it assumes you want to play music from your phone. Yeah. Like, so despite the fact that every time oh, I get in my car, I put on Pandora every single time. Yeah. But it's like, no, you just want I to plug play it the in. It's like, you plugged in a phone. Best yep. guess. Play from your phone. Yep. And it's Dancing Queen. It plays it. No, no, it's worse. It plays it alphabetically every time. Oh, oh yeah. Wait, how does Dancing Queen? Okay. It plays it alphabetically by song name. And so every single time I get in my car, yeah. it plays the theme song from the A-Team. I'm not A kidding. Team. That is what comes <laughs> on. <laughs> Every time I start a... Which I, sounds of course, like a feature. Which Day I, of course, find totally inspirational. Is it, is it a car or is it a van? It looks like it's an a SUV. Van. It's just a van, right? No, it's, it's a minivan. It's an RV. No, it's an A-team van. It's a minivan for dudes. So it's yeah, basically sure. a minivan. minivan. But the, no, the A-team, they were mostly dudes. The outside looks like an SUV, but it's not a real SUV. drive minivans. Yeah. It's like Coke Zero. Like, we wanted Diet Coke, but we didn't want it to seem so girly, so they make it more black. All right. Okay, so then I searched on the internet thinking this is absurd. There's no possible. And I searched every single corner that I could find on an application to find out a sort by something other than artist. See, it's always though. in the last room you check on the internet. Always. Yeah. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. yeah. And the internet was full of, oh, go to preferences. Okay. So here's another thing about <laughs> Had you iPhone. thought of that? Had you considered going to preferences Wait a minute. before the there's internet? There's another <laughs> thing about iPhone, which is that the designers of iPhone and Apple have decided that all preferences for all apps shall live in the preferences place. So rather than go ahead and run oh, your I app that. and look for the preferences button... You have to go to and that choose Sarlacc the looking thing. Instead, you go back yeah. to, back yeah. up, you exit the app, you go to general, you go down into preferences, and then you see a list of all your apps, and then you find your app, which you were just running, and now you can edit the preferences for that app. And this yeah. is what Apple has decided. And the rest of the world is like, why would you ever do this? That doesn't make any sense. That's like having... The registry. The registry. No, it's, it's worse. It's like in Unix where you have like everything Each that you install, put something machine. in Etsy, something in bin, and something yeah, 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 yeah. in user S bin, and something in... I'm explaining this to Jay, and he's like, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But BIOS, say BIOS. I remember BIOS. <laughs> but only Apple thinks that this is the right place to put preferences, so nobody has actually learned that apps have preferences because every other app developer has been oh, like, I nobody's going to find they it all there. They put the little dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's Android, the little menu somewhere in Yeah, the we'll put a little gear in the bottom right-hand corner like every other app, and then we'll yeah, put our yeah, preferences yeah. there so that people can actually find it, and they don't call us saying, where's the feature that we had all along? And you know what? There's no ranting about this on the internet. That's why I felt no, like I had here. to rant. It's the reason there's here. no ranting about this is because you see people asking, like, how the hell do I, why is this sorted? Why, is, when I say click by songs, is it sorted by artist? Just like if I had clicked by artist, and then somebody's like, oh yeah, just go into system preferences, and they go into music player, and then sort by, and then change the option to the non-default. And the people have been so abused by Apple over these years that they're like, oh, okay. 
Well, the best is and what they Apple, just think that that's okay. They just live with that. Apple calls that like I forget they call it, like human centric design guidelines. Like they yeah. like you can't argue <laughs> sure. with them. They're like I'm sorry, we figured out what the humans want, yes. and they want this. They think different. And you touched on but glossed over the actual worst part. Like you'd think the worst part is that like you don't want to leave an app and go back to the OS and then go down into settings. The actual worst part is in settings. There are, I don't know, 42 different settings, top-level settings categories, maybe 48. And every setting you've ever wanted is under general. I don't know what the other 47 are, but there's this gigantic list of all these things you might change settings on. But every actual setting you care about is under one that's called general General. settings. That is not settings overall. I'm sorry that happened to you, Joel. It's it's tragic. Hopefully, yeah. this story of your suffering will inspire. Listen to this program. Yeah. Listen to this podcast. Yeah. There are six listeners. Two of them must be programmers. One of them <laughs> might be working on some kind of iPhone development type situation. And they should know, just put your friggin' settings in a little gear in the bottom right-hand corner like, like every other normal. People at Apple being. can't hear this podcast. They They're can't. all sitting in a white no. room with Johnny Ive meditating right now. They're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. There's a white noise generator to prevent any interference from the outside. Okay. What do we have on the agenda today to talk about on this podcast? Should we talk about the blog post? There's been some interesting blog posts, not our blog. Hey, you know, one of those was like a year old. The other ones, they it was were older. like, Stecco yeah, yeah. is over. It's done. So, it's declining and it's falling. Which concerned yes. my wife. Which she is says, why we're canceling the podcast. Yeah, yeah. She says that, <laughs> that if Stack Overflow is in fact declining and closing down, yeah. I'm going to have to get another job, which sounds terrible to me. Yeah. I'm almost, like, this is the right thing to talk about here, but I'm almost bored by these people that think that Stack Overflow is going away. Because why is Stack Overflow got more questions than ever and more answers than ever and more people than ever and more engagement? It's going away. The main complaint they have is whenever they the raise valid issues and try and provide feedback, some yeah. asshole at Stack Overflow <laughs> acts bored and doesn't want to talk about it or take it seriously. And that's why we can't. Now nah, I'm oversimplifying a Can little. Can we talk about my iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> The sort order is bullshit, man. Oh, God, okay. I'm going to kill our rating. Okay. Yeah. So actually, as usual, I think whenever you read an article that basically says your company is in decline and you've hit that part of the narrative where you're doing everything wrong, everything's going to fall apart. Yeah. Your first reaction is to go like, well, they're wrong about many, many things and they yeah. have a terrible attitude and yeah. they haven't thought this yeah. through and they understand very little. Yeah. And there are aspects of that to yeah. this, but I think the and most- ugly, too. Well, right. We try to insult their physical appearance. Probably we, fat, but I wouldn't <laughs> Really want to commit to that. They're probably sitting on the bed with yeah, that's right, pounds. Yeah, probably a four hundred pound person sitting on their bed. Let's talk about that later. I'm sorry for those of you that don't know. That was a quote. If you don't live in America, presidential candidate last night, and don't like to watch political horror shows. So the article we're talking about is actually called "The Decline of Stack Overflow." It is old. It's from July fourth, twenty fifteen. I don't wholeheartedly yeah. recommend it, but there's some interesting points. We should talk about. It got back on Reddit in honor of National Voter Registration yeah. Day for some reason. I don't really know the connection. <laughs> There's definitely a causal effect there. Hacker Noon is the site it is posted on, which, as I dug into, is apparently what hackers read at noon, or so the site claims. Yeah. And it's written by a gentleman, uh, looks like a gentleman named John Sleggers, Sleggers, don't mean to mispronounce his name, who's apparently a rebel geek philosopher. So anyway, I guess the basic argument here is that Stack Overflow was doing wonderfully and was super great and really useful, but that over time, recently, by now, or by about a year ago, what has happened is it's all messed up. And the basic thing, he quotes a study that we've actually looked at before. His basic premise is it is messed up. We all know this. And the reason we know it's messed up is 77% of users only ask one question. I believe it's referring to, of those who register, 77% eventually at some point ask a question. Okay, I don't know why that's a metric of anything. 65% answer one question and only 8% answer... More than percent of the dishes at Momofuku contain butter. So I think the first. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, which? (laughs) Wait, which Momofuku is? Because there's like a whole bunch. (laughs) No idea. One one mostly sells cookies and cookies blended into soda or something. Anyway, David Chang restaurants delicious. He's really into pork butts. I feel like he's overly focused. Have we got? We're off topic. Okay, back to this article. Yeah, he's definitely more into swine than butter. 
So anyway, it starts from this assumption that there's a fundamental problem of the number of people who are doing things. And I do think we'd like more people to feel like they can participate, to be able to participate. Part of the model is that people are more rarely creating content, and then lots of people benefit. And so one way to look at it is, oh, wow, 77% of people asked a hopefully useful question, and 65% answer a question, and almost 10% answer five or more questions, and that's benefiting millions. Maybe that's okay. I don't know. But he takes that as an assumed problem. And then he breaks out why. And I think the whys are more interesting to break down a little bit, whether or not the premise is right. I mean, he's three general categories. I think overlap a little. One is that Stack Overflow is super mean to new users. Yeah. And I think there's some, these are all, in my opinion, exaggerated, but there's some interesting truth and valid feedback in all of them. Not just new users. It's like pretty much all users, except for the celebrated click of internal people well, that are so deep in their own. What's interesting, his first basic... Well, I mean, that's just the way it's presented, not new users. Yeah. He literally says Stack Overflow hates, hates new, new users. users. That was a quote, Mr. Trump. Mm -hmm. You don't have to interpret it. I'm just reading it back to you. That is false. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Stack Overflow hates new users. And it's that's the worst podcast ever because we're all <laughs> emulating our leaders from yes. last night. Yes. Okay. And he talks about here essentially when you are an user and you try to ask a question, there's a lot of ways it can go wrong. You can feel judged. You can feel like people told you you did it wrong. And well, I think there's some unfairness in the way he's constructing it and he's glossing over a couple of things. That's not crazy, which is to say that the first user experience in Stack Overflow for many people, because so many questions are asked and answered already, is challenging sometimes, and right. we continue to work on that. He goes on to say, actually, Stack Overflow hates most other users, and now he's actually switched where he's quoting from. Again, not that it's invalid, but he's talking about sort of how basically the people who are answering all the time, we hate them, and most of what it references is actually, it's too annoying for them because new users are doing so little work, and they're so lazy, and there's so many problems that they have a terrible experience. And he doesn't really get into the fact that what he seems to be acknowledging is actually, he's basically saying the site has a big problem and that it's too mean to new users, but the experienced people. And we annoy the experienced people too much because we let all these new users get in their way and harass them. And that those are contradictory. And, and he's not recognizing, like, the, yeah. the point there, it's not even that he's wrong. When people ask me what I want Stack Overflow to be more of tonally, what I always say is I want it to be more welcoming for right. new users, even when it started, and more appreciative of power users, people who are answering a lot, contributing that their time is well spent, that it's efficient, there's not too much noise, that they feel like they're making a difference. So both his points are sort of valid, but I feel a bit like he's kind of glossing over, this is a challenging balance. If you make both those points, right. you have to recognize you're calling out two things that are a little bit at odds. If you want every person right. to hop in and be able to do it easily and without having to learn a lot, and we do, it creates a problem where some people are like, ah, they're all doing it wrong, and they don't know what they're doing yet. And that's the balance we keep working to improve. This comes to the general problem that, first of all, there's a huge universe of people that don't recognize how Stack Overflow is not there for the people asking the questions. It's there. Not just for them. Well, it's not primarily for them. I don't disagree like with necessary. you. This is like It's a, there for the people yeah. that are searching for a question and find something that has already been answered on Google. And so we would rather not actually serve the people asking the questions the first time at the expense of the thousandfold more people that come in from Google. I mean, I know we need both. But I just hate how you're saying it. I don't disagree with your point. Yeah. I guess what I mean by that is, so you're totally right. At the end of the day, like, uh, how do you make a difference? How do you help the world? The answer is the real help is not that the person who asked got an answer. It's that that they asked a question that 10,000 more people had. And those 10,000 right. people getting their answer is the real difference. That's, That's the real 10,001 total. Yeah. The thing that I worry right. about a little bit is too often, like someone comes in, they try to ask a question of that experience. Someone's like, we're not here to help you answer your question. We're here to help some other people. Sure. Which is what will come out of your question. And so the narrative is like, we're not just here to help you, I think. It's you and everyone else like you. Like we, you're, we're saying the same thing. It's just right. sometimes on site, we get into like, we don't care about your problems, ask her. And it understandably confuses and annoys people and they feel a little sure. bit attacked. I think there's another thing going on, which I'm going to start talking about more and more, which is that it's gotten really big and it's very global and it's yeah. a very scary place. And I think Stack Overflow has gotten so big, I think, 
that a lot of people are just sort of afraid to ask questions, not because they think they're going to get beat up or anything, but because they don't know if it's already been asked or they don't know the right way to ask it or whatever. And so a lot of the normal people that might have good questions are inhibited from asking. And in fact, it's the people that are lacking in the inhibitions that are most likely to come ask a question on Stack Overflow. And so what you get is a disproportionate number of the people that are doing things on Stack Overflow are actually missing some kind of a filter that think a lot of people might have. And so they, for whatever reason, just go ahead and dump really bad questions onto the site. I think that could be part of it. There's another article I want to switch to that kind of gets into a little bit like, why is it hard today when it wasn't before? I think we can talk about it in a second. Before we switch off this article, one other interesting thing I thought is there's the two other points he makes. He basically talks about how essentially like one of the problems is there's all these, one of my criticisms that I don't have a silver lining to is he does use lots of Nazi metaphors because it's the internet and he calls yeah. people little Fuhrers and yeah, yeah. tube Nazis and all stuff. For the record, I kind of hate that. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's not use Nazis to describe. Yeah, just stop it. Go read a book, please, about what happened in World War II. But anyway, Sorry. but anyway, um, forgetting the metaphor, he gets into this thing where it's like, well, the big problem is there's all these people out there and they can edit and they can, you know, vote to close things is off topic and they can do yeah. all these terrible things. And the truth of the matter is there's not a lot of recognition of the fact that that is what makes it all work. We've talked about this before. And the fundamental problem is 99% yeah. of the time, an editor or someone voting to close, they're voting to close about how somebody's cat got syrup on it. And, you know, they want to know how to get the syrup out yeah. because it's off topic. Or they're yeah. editing to make it better. Did that, 95%, did that happen? Percent, I, I have different problems. It sounds like that. I'm just kidding. I hate cats. And if my cat got syrup yeah. on it, I would just cook it a little Wouldn't bit more no, and then no, finish I, eating it. Oh, my God. The syrup for the cat. Uh, send your letters. They would send just your letters to Cora at... Sorry. Let's not talk about cats. But anyway, this is like that availability bias. Let's be honest. Some questions get closed that maybe shouldn't occasionally. And some people are rude occasionally. And in fact, we deal with that pretty quickly, generally. The users flag it. The matter is 95% of the activity described as this horrible stuff is supportive. It's what makes it work. But the availability bias says, like, what do you remember? You remember the time people are acting out of line or awful or mean, and that sticks with mm -hmm. them. So, and I feel oh, like yeah, it kind yeah, of glosses over that. Anyway, but... it's an interesting post. If you care to read it, we try to think about I these also, things. The last thing I want to say, actually, yeah. is that all the things that people say, which is nobody contributes, nobody's answering questions, yeah. people are all leaving Stack Overflow in droves and whatever. I mean, we follow these things very, very closely because we're concerned about that, and we have statistics, and we watch the statistics, and that is not actually what's happening. There is something which is happening, which we recognize from the very beginning would be happening, which is that not everybody wants to contribute to Stack Overflow for their whole life. And you may have somebody who comes in Why? and participates actively for months and months answering questions, and then they get sick of it, and they get sick of all the whatever, and they get tired of it, and they just leave. But a new person will come in and sort of replace them. And we've always known that that would happen, and we've always been like, that's okay. But it's not us, right? It's them? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I'm just saying that when outsiders say it's all sort of fallen uh, and declining and whatever, and that doesn't actually match the actual statistics of what's actually happening. Yeah, half a million people participate in some way on Stack Overflow actively, right. like yeah. doing stuff. I don't mean reading or browsing, but are like actively contributing in some way every single month, which is obviously, as you might guess, higher than it's ever been. It continues to trend upward. And in fact, that rate of engagement has been going up in the last couple of years more than it had been. I do want to be explicit. I would like to address this problem in the future. And yes. the way I'd like to address it is essentially we have Stack Overflow and that's like the big leagues, but we need minor leagues. And I don't know what the minor leagues are or what format they take, but they have to be smaller, safer places. Like the where... Staten Island Yankees. Is that what they're called? <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah. yeah. It's on Staten Island. Yeah. Stop trying to make Staten Island a thing, Jay. <laughs> Not going to happen. Staten Island has a larger population than the metro area of Miami. Right. What's that both thing you take for cholesterol? Both Rick Schroeder and Christina Aguilera come from Staten Island. What's the drug you take for cholesterol every day? Uh, Allegra. 
No, it's for cholesterol. Concerta. It's a statin, right? It's called a statin. Heroin. Yes, a statin. There's many. No, kinds aren't of statins for blood statins pressure? Statins for cholesterol. Oh, cholesterol. Might be for blood pressure too. Okay. Staten Island? That was neither okay. here nor there. Decline and fall stack overflow. Yeah. So we ruled that it is not happening. There was a response post too. Are we going to talk oh. about that briefly? Yeah, let's go quickly. So the response post, again, let's give the credit to where credit is doing. This one actually, I thought was kind of balanced in some ways. It's from Bozo's tech blog. He's not a Bozo like we are, B-O-Z-L, but he is B-O-Z-H-O, Bozar, Bozanov. He's got Boz in both of his names, which is pretty cool. I would go by both squared if I were in junior high school and had that name. Anyway, he writes about how he's- That's not how math works, though. It's not squared. It's just two. But when you're a kid, you think it's kind of awesome. It's two to... Boses, not Bose squared. But you know, you'd have like the two things that both be- Never mind. You know what? Forget it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure I know what you're talking about. Anyway, the title of his article is, to your point, Joel, he stipulates it's not declining. I stopped contributing to Stack Overflow, but it's not declining. And well, it sounds like it's like a big, like, I stopped and there's going to be terrible reasons. I actually thought his take was kind of interesting. What he basically kind of works through, what he talks about mostly is it's a success problem on some level, which is he, I think, correctly articulates that over time, it has gotten more challenging, whether you want to ask or answer to jump in and find an easy place to do it. But it's not because everyone's gotten so much meaner or no one has any useful knowledge or everything is going to hell in a handbasket as much as he kind of lays out that essentially all of the most accessible, useful stuff is filled in, that a huge percent of this is sort of mm -hmm. done. And so it is increasingly likely that questions are duplicates or that you're wandering into areas we don't cover because not really about writing code or all these other things. Mm -hmm. And so what he gets into is like just that because of that, it is just a little bit more challenging now to find questions also that are really interesting that are, you know, kind of complex, they're harder to find and, and so on. So anyway, you can read that one too. I thought they were both thought provoking. I think there's some truth in both of them, the latter one in particular. Felt reasonable to me. Anyway, those we've been talking about those internally. We try to take feedback in a constructive way after we call them mean names and draw pictures of them wearing outfits that we think they would find embarrassing. I have a, like a little cupid doll with pins that I stick in it. That is so disturbing. If anyone has seen a cupid doll, that notion is really off-putting and weird. Yeah. Okay, Joel, do you have one yeah. minute tech review for us? Again, no, we just did it. Oh, Didn't we do the uh, music app? Wasn't we... that it? It's not a one minute no, no, tech review, no, David. That, that was, was my Joel's rant of the day. Multi minute <laughs> rant about okay, the state of the technology world. Totally different thing. I'm sorry. I just had to get that out there. The one minute tech review is Cassetta Wireless, which is a kind of light switch that you can buy from a company called Luchan. Okay, so light switches. You probably haven't thought about them very much, but a lot of times the problem is that the light switch is located in the wrong side of the room or where you enter the room or leave the room. And especially if you have a room with multiple doors and you want to have light switches. Oh, you need a tri-switch? What do you call those? The tri there's a yeah. triple okay. switch? So oh, sometimes yeah. you can get that wired in yeah. by the electrician, but sometimes that's old-fashioned. You want to replace it with a dimmer. Now you need a dimmer at both sides. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. There's a, sort of a lot of problems around here. The technology has gone through many, many, many different stages. And the current latest version of this is called Cassetta Wireless by Lutron. It's very simple. You buy these little sets that have a remote. The remote is just a little button, which you can either carry around with you or you can mount it on the wall as if it were a light switch. And the other side is just a light switch, and the remote controls the light switch from the other side of the room, but they don't have to be wired together. Oh, I see. Instead of so running a wire magic. to the other side of the room... You just glue this remote onto the wall. It looks it, like a switch. I'm going to have to look talks. into that, actually. Yeah. I live in a pre-war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off it talks room to the other room. switch. Yeah, it sends a little wireless yeah, that's message via radio waves. That's brilliant. And, and there used to be these things called X10, which did this. And you could buy them at Radio Shack in the 70s, and they were awful, and they didn't work, and they took about four seconds, and they interfered with your neighbors upstairs, and all your lights would flash when you were in the microwave. <laughs> and they certainly didn't work with, you know, LEDs or DFLs or halogens or anything like that. 
But these ones just work with everything. They're super robust, reliable, and cool, and they're very nice. And they are very using easy some wireless signal. And I just what are the odds them you can hack into your neighbors and start flicking their lights on? If you off. can get to their light switch for six seconds, you can take over their light switch for life. <laughs> yes. So if you could just like knock okay. on the door and be like, can I borrow some potato salad? <laughs> like potato salad, really? I mean, maybe like ask for some sugar or something you might have, but what are the chances that your neighbor is going to have potato salad, potato salad. For... I feel like potato salad uh, stories just always end with someone getting food poisoning. Very negative. So here's the version of this that I actually want would be all the things you just described, but yeah. the way that it flicks the light switch, you don't actually change anything about the light switch. You just mount a thing over it, which is a little motorized finger that flicks the switch for you. This is uh, so, yeah. You can just basically just turn off the main electricity, you know, pull that thing open, disengage the <laughs> I just do it all from the fuse box. Yeah. <laughs> I just use that as the light switch yeah, that's control the... in, my, in my whole apartment. You know, like if people with studio apartments <laughs> in Manhattan have probably been told by their landlord to do that at times, where they're like, there's no light switch here. And they're like, oh, just use this fuse switch. It's just open the box. It's next to the door. It's crazy. Then their landlord goes back to punching cubes so coins come out and hopping on Koopas in the hopes of someday (laughs) defeating Bowser. Okay. Okay. So Uh, I can't believe this is almost related story. One of my rooms, I have these Philips bulbs, the view bulbs, basically. Our own Casper did a great presentation on how to make light bulbs too expensive by making them programmable. (laughs) And it's awesome thing about how he wrote this awesome app to make his light bulbs kind of work with his music. And I remember this, and it's boring backstory, but basically I had a light bulb right in front of my television and it reflected, it was like right in the thing. And so I wanted when I put on the TV, the light bulbs to go off, I these Philips bulbs. And that sounded great, except the light switch they're hooked up to, the Philips will sell them, do not cut off power ever, ever. Everything must be soft controlled by the Philips thingy uh-huh. if you have the programmable ones. And you, they can be, but it creates chaos. You cut off power, the whole thing's got to reboot and it takes like 15 minutes. Yeah, there's a hub that's angry, but it's beautiful. <laughs> you just buy this little light switch. Your light bulb's got to reboot, to be clear. That's true. You have a little light switch that you stick on the wall. It has like a magnet and a sticker, and you just stick it on the wall. It has on, off, it has a mm-hmm. dimmer, and it just talks Wi-Fi to the right. hub or whatever. Right, right. And it's beautiful, except what everybody does is they hit the other light switch right next to it. Which is the real light switch want that to you use. Like to use. <laughs> and what I could do is cut a hole in the drywall and bury it and re-drywall it, and oh my God, I have a job, and I'm busy, and my children are loud, and I, what am I going to do that? And so I looked online, what do I do, what do I do? And there's a company that makes a device that is just like a plastic cutout that comes in all the Lutron like white and off-white colors and just has magnets that literally sits over your light switch and covers it with a flat panel that is a magnet. And So you can't switch it. So guess what it's for? Yes, it just makes a switch unusable. No, it's for Shabbat, obviously. It is totally for Shabbat. <laughs> it's a switch designed so on Shabbos yeah, you don't accidentally obvious. turn the turn lights on, off on or off. Yeah. And I was like, this is awesome. This That is... is like such a yuppie thing. Let's pick, Ilana, what's the biggest yuppie neighborhood for Shomer Shabbat Jews? Like I'm in Crown white Heights. White Plains or then. something. No, no. This is like White Plains and Crown Heights. They use masking tape. Somebody goes around a little bit of masking tape and puts it on every light switch. Well, let me say, I just thought New this... Jersey. Yeah. But in White Plains, they have these like $19 electronic magnetic things to prevent you from switching on and off the lights. It was a great moment for me to think, I'm so glad this, you know, thousand some odd year old religion existed. So yeah. my problem with my light switch can finally go away. I was really happy about Judaism. And speaking of religion. Yes. We are preparing a constitution for Stack Overflow. <laughs> and we already have. It's time to ratify. We have to ratify. The first question was pants. I don't think that was such a good question, but whatever. That's our very first question. Pants, pants or socks first? Do you put on the pants or the socks you first, Ilana? What question. was the result? So we were 70% pants. 70%. 70% said pants, pants. first. Okay. Yeah. Wait. And 30% Wait. therefore And 30% socks. said socks. And 30%, 30% were wrong. Hang on. No, <laughs> this is like, this is like one of these tests where like, we Gosh. weren't really trying Gosh. to ratify a constitution. First thing we're going to do is we've already blocked those 30% of people from Twitter, right? <laughs> on Twitter, I assume. They just don't get stickers. That's for sure. 
No stickers for them. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The rule does not. You could be wrong. If you have a good enough explanation, even if you're on the losing side, just remember you can still you, win the as we read their explanation, even if you don't know who they are, envision them standing in their home for some period of time every single day with yeah. socks on and no yeah. pants. Yeah. Because that's the person telling you this explanation. Only for like three All seconds right, while they go get their pants. Let's hear the explanation. Okay. So we want to talk about the one that I picked, the winner. Yeah. Okay. Tell us the winner. Okay. The winner is? So Brian Bedard. Con, I tried to put socks on before pants, but got an invalid operation exception. Oh, that's a good one. Nice. What's Brian Bagard? Do you have his Twitter Bedard, handle, Bedard. Uh It is Brian, B-R-Y-A-N. Bedard. So if you want to follow that's him, he's, he's like at Brian, at, like, like the Brian Adams We'll retweet him Bedard. from the famous okay, Stack beautiful. Podcast. Whoa. We have a Stack Podcast now. Is that the uh, at we Stack do. Podcast? But everybody go to Twitter right now and just type into the little box at Stack. I can't say it. Twitter.com slash stack podcast. And then hit follow. Thank you. And also you'll find out when we're broadcasting live. So you can listen in live, which is going to start happening hopefully next week. If not next week, uh, maybe next week. And if not, then, <laughs> then actually next Monday, we're, next week we're recording on Monday instead of Tuesday. And oh, so adjusted. No. what's happening? Also follow us on Facebook. What's our Facebook address? Instagram. No, we have a Facebook. Everybody has to follow us on the Facebook. Stack Overflow Podcast. Go to Facebook.com slash Stack Overflow Podcast. I know it's a lot of words, but that's the rule. Okay, so we got the first element of the Constitution, and now on to next week's Constitution subject, pro or con. Here's the one I came up with. Should programming languages count towards your foreign language requirement? Inspired by something <laughs> we mentioned in the last podcast. Okay. Pro is programming languages, obviously, like if you learn Fortran or COBOL or something. Then you don't have to also study Spanish or French in school. Maybe dating ourselves. Oh, they don't teach languages in Pretty school? Pretty sure anymore? they still study French and Spanish. Yeah. They don't teach Latin and Greek anymore. That would be dating ourselves. So you're saying Actually, if you go to a liberal arts college. Yeah, and they have a foreign language requirement. Yeah, and like or I... even high school or something. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. And they require you to learn a language. Can you use a programming language? I guess pro, what are the arguments for, I guess, obviously? It would encourage people to learn computer science. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it encourages people to learn computer science. This is the thing that people put forward who think that we should be teaching more practical skills in high school and especially trying to get more people to at least try That's it. right. And plus, people hate learning foreign languages. So, uh, Some people. There's probably a whole bunch of like curriculum and like student handbooks that all already say, like, and all students must learn a language. And you could probably get away with not changing those if you made this change. Big I think, yeah, I feel like it's like this weird false cognate where they're like, well, we have this rule that says language and programmers also call the things that they do languages. So yeah. that's basically the same, right? Which is It's like, got vocabulary uh, and grammar. Uh, no, it's not the same thing at all. It's just that our languages are like ultra super duper simple. But they're not really languages. Like, I mean, they're... we call them languages because that's a convenient... You need a word. Then and yeah, okay. I think they should count towards your foreign language requirement. Nobody's learning any foreign languages in America anyway. I certainly it's not like, like the idea well, of teaching like at the wrong years time. Of French anyway, in eighth grade is really making any difference for anybody. So they might as well learn a little bit of C plus plus. French. It's weird. French is so popular because the odds of French invading you yeah. and needing to speak that is so infinitesimally no, small. No, no, because you can go to France and then you can get directions from the taxi driver, who's also an immigrant, and doesn't speak French. I was just interpreted that as like the two nations bordering <laughs> us, right? If you go France to the north. Spanish to the south. That's right. That's right. Really. If you want really. to visit Canada on vacation, learn yeah. French. Wait, we don't own Canada? Learn we still don't French, own Canada? Although the French speak, the people in Quebec speak some English. Uh, however, if you learn Denoctitat, sponsor today's podcast, <laughs> you could speak to Canadians who don't know English. 
Anyway, while we're on this, can we just settle? It's an well, urban myth, right? Drift, that Nanaktitut has 28 words for snow. That's not really true, right? And that is. The myth is Eskimo has 100 right, words right. for snow. The yeah, Inuit, yeah, some Inuit yeah. line. But that's not true, right? It's like. No, they got like two. Like we do. Like they have <laughs> like, like dusting and flurries and like. Okay, you guys are getting way off the subject. We're praying constitution. Why do you Let's hate finish snow? the subject. Okay. Pro or con, should programming language count towards your foreign language requirement? In order to vote, please go to Twitter and write a tweet. Hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast, write pro or con. And your explanation, which should be short but thick, explaining <laughs> your reason. <laughs> Not again. Programming <laughs> <laughs> should or shouldn't count towards foreign uh, language requirement. Uh... And as usual, the best explanation, whether or not it is on the winning side, will win a Stack Overflow sticker, which will be sent to you by Ilana next week. Thank you very much. It's time for the news. the first presidential debate, Republican nominee Donald Trump responded to a question about what the United States should do to boost cybersecurity efforts. Cyber! So we have to get very, very tough on cyber and cyber warfare. Uh, it, is a, it is a huge problem. I have a son. He's 10 oh years old. He has computers. <laughs> he is so good with these computers. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. And maybe it's, it's hardly doable. But I will say we are not doing the job we should be doing. But that's true throughout our whole governmental society. We have so many things that we have to do yeah. better, Lester. And certainly so cyber is one of them. So hang on, two, two takeaways. We have so one many is things we, we need, need to, to work harder on the cyber. cyber is one yeah. of them. If you work in the cyber industry as we do, you got to work harder on that cyber because we're not doing enough. And two is if you I have work on the, who's amazing. If you work on the security side of cyber, hello infosec yeah. site, you're wasting your time. It may be impossible. According to Donald, it may be a fool's errand. It could be totally impossible. The cyber security. Okay, nobody else in the entire universe uses the word cyber anymore, other than the government, right? They do talk They're about the cyber warfare, talk about right? Cyber they warfare do. That's and not cyber a security. crazy word. Yeah. I know that's the normal word, but it's not like... I'm sorry. We're glossing over the real problem. It's not a noun. Cyber is yeah. not a noun. It's a modifier. <laughs> well, okay. Please. The other thing I want to say is, is this not like the classic example of what you write on a test when you're asked a question that you literally do not know anything about? <laughs> is this oh. not the perfect, like... Yes, this is a very big problem. Oh, you were like the Monroe and Doctrine. we got to work on this yeah, yeah. because this is a very important thing. And I have a 10-year-old who really knows computers. The Monroe Doctrine was critical like to history. And yeah. if we do not study and learn from the lead-up and follow-up <laughs> to and from and to the Monroe Doctrine, right. we will not correctly incorporate its critical lessons into how we behave in the future. No, no. You know That's what's missing good. from That's that? That's a pretty it's good one. the pulse balance, too. It's like yeah. there are many different views of the Monroe oh, right. Doctrine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> many people are in support of it. Others question whether it was really the right doctrine. And for the, the short time. answer is I award you no points and may God have mercy yeah. on your soul. <laughs> Some people, like my 10 year old son, love the cyber. They're amazing at the cyber. Other people think it is a window with pictures on it where words fly by. Okay. Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton also responded to the question I think we need to do much more uh, with our tech companies to. Uh, prevent ISIS and their operatives uh, from being able to use the internet to radicalize, even direct uh, people in our country and Europe and elsewhere. Okay. <laughs> how many times did I tell you we should not start that how to start an ISIS stack exchange site? <laughs> no, we allow every idea to be explored here. Okay. Okay. So, but there's actually an interesting. So, I was listening to the debate 
This was actually like a rational answer, right? That that made sense. Tiny bit, except a terrifying Wrong. one. It's also a little bit chilling, right? Yes. Like the, oh I mean, God. there was it was a little scary that it's like we need to do more with our tech companies to prevent these groups from using basically the using the internet, right? To radicalize. Like that's, that's like this is one of those classic substitute the word internet for electricity and see how much sense it makes. I think we need to do much more with our tech companies to prevent ISIS from being able to use electricity to radicalize, even to rag people in our country and Europe and elsewhere. It's like, how, oh, how, what? It doesn't look like well, they so have electricity like the impossibility where they live. I feel like that's the... not your point, but I never see no, electricity no, where impossible. they are. impossible. How but on I, earth, what are we supposed no, to do to prevent ISIS and their operatives from using the internet to radicalize people I, in our country and Europe and elsewhere? There's a nuance. Well, they mean like block them from Facebook and Twitter, right? That's what they mean. How? Do how? Do well, but hang pull on. down their videos and blah, blah, blah. Is, is it, through what magic? Well, there's a tricky balance, right? So I think we'd all agree. This is like whenever someone's like, no, we're going to protect people. We're going to stop the encryption. We're going to oh, stop yeah. the encryption. After Incredible. that, we're going to cancel the math. Yeah. And then, and right. then so that sounds, it sounds like nonsense, right? Like It's like the college stuff. Like, part of the idea yeah. is ideas should be presented and bad ones should be challenged by better ideas. I agree with you there. However, there's a line that's interesting, which is if you recognize like Facebook is a place that has a massive portion of what people see and are exposed to online, I think it's a complex question for them. Like, will they allow videos of beheadings to be shown if they believe they promote, they're both awful and they promote potentially, like there are, there are complex questions within this, within this topic. Okay. okay. So you're saying that Hillary Clinton's answer was not the most ridiculous one in the world. I, it's nuanced, you know, which is what she does well on like, some other people she was talking to, but well, look, we've gotten really good at recognizing copyrighted stuff on YouTube and pulling it down, right? Because there are lots of incentives there, and they, you know, you just hire a team of lawyers to spend literally all day, every day, reviewing these things, and you know, you have some algorithms that detect it. YouTube's hit the point, though. Like, I don't think it's as impossible as you think it is. I think what's worrying is it's like, how, where do you draw the lines? I'm gonna retire if that's gonna be my job is figuring out all the ways to stop ISIS from communicating online. That's just too exhausting. We should put YouTube on it. It's not communicate online. I think one-to-one communication is a lot harder to detect and prevent. Yeah, I think recruiting, putting up videos that, you know, thousands of people watch, I think that is a tractable problem. Difficult, but tractable, but also kind of, again, where do you draw the lines and how do do you... It's not talking to the devoted or the mostly devoted. I think the point is the radicalization of people at the fringe, right? The the question is like, can you and should you engage in activities to prevent... People who are in a more traditional environment but struggling and are susceptible from getting exposed to stuff that is likely to be dangerous. But I do think any kind of sense. Right. Like, do you want the Mark scary Zuckerberg thing that, to be the arbiter of that? Like, it's a hard question. Or the government. That's the scary thing, right? Because what they're talking about is preventing sort of homegrown terrorists, which are basically regular Americans who, you know, I guess the theory or toddlers, is they see, as we call them here in America. <laughs> <laughs> they see something dangerous, it infects their mind, and now they become radicalized, right? It's sort of the, the imagery that's used here. Yeah. That's a little scary, right? The idea that, okay, well, what we need to do then is, you know, go Stop and remove all of the, the ideas on yeah. the internet that might infect people. Yeah. Sounds like a terrible idea. All right. We've said enough on that. All right. Enough about that. I just had to get something in about the debate because... I think that was technically Alana who got it in, but is there more news That's of the right. day? Alana? We do, we do have some more news. better news. So Y Combinator is currently working to restore a Xerox Alto it received from Alan Kay, the godfather of the Ooh. modern computing revolution. Created in 1973, the Xerox Alto holds a significant place in computing history. It was the first computer designed around a graphical user interface and introduced Ethernet and the laser printer to the world. Okay, this is the coolest thing in the world that is currently happening in the news on the internet. So <laughs> I just wanted to spend some time a on little this. Time. A little time on this. Tell us about it, Grandpa Joel. Okay. This was <laughs> oh way before God. my time. Are you serious? You guys, have anybody heard of the friggin' Xerox Alto? I've heard of it, but it's like, you know. Okay, so Xerox had this group called the Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Is it Palo Alto? No, I can't say that. Palo Alto. 
Palo Alto. I have to say it so fast that the L disappears. Palo Alto. Palo Alto. Okay. Xerox has this group called, called Park, Xerox Park Palo Alto Research Center, which was when Xerox was big and rich and making a lot of Xerox machines back in the day, and they had lots of extra money and they wanted to spend it on things like R&D so they could get a tax credit. They had this big R&D research facility in Palo Alto, near, right next to Stanford University, and it invented all kinds of cool stuff. And in fact, Xerox Park invented everything that sort of became kind of the future of computing for the, like the next 30 years. They were the mouse, right? They invented the mouse. They invented graphical user interfaces. They invented the, the WIMP GUI. user interface, what they called WIMP, window. Windows, icons, I think, menus, and PPP printers. No, Windows, icons, pictures. I don't know what WIMP stood for. Platypi. Platypus, yeah. And they invented Ethernet, which is amazing. It's a high-speed networking over a network. Windows, Uh, icons, menus, and pointer. Menus and pointer. Okay, so the pointer was the mouse. They invented the mouse. They invented the GUI, the idea of a bitmap display, where instead of merely being able to display letters, it could just display sort of any image using a bitmap. And then you could sort of create these fonts, and you could have different fonts. And you could do real WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get, because, you know, the actual font that was going to go on the paper could go on the screen. What else did they invent? Man, oh, the laser printer, which is a huge thing. So all this stuff was absolutely amazing. And everybody thought that Xerox had sort of this unbeatable lead. And famously, they gave a tour of their facility, their research facility to one Steve Jobs, who said, this is a good idea. And he uh, took it back to Apple and was like, guess what I just invented, you guys, (laughs) and made the first Macintosh based around a commercialization of all those ideas that had come out of Xerox Park, which Xerox was unbelievably incapable of commercializing for some reason. But what Xerox did come up with is this thing called the Xerox Alto, which was a computer that they sold to, in the end, I think they sold it to a couple of like very fancy print shops for making, you know, wedding invitations and stuff. And it was ridiculously expensive and very finicky. And it was an amazing computer. It was absolutely the first computer with a bitmap display with the windows and the mice and the pointers and all kinds of really neat stuff. It probably had like a two megabyte disk drive or something amazing like that. It had Ethernet. It had a laser printer that you could Hold up some run stats. off of it. The okay, dates, I think the date's the most interesting part. The first machine was introduced in 1973, March 1973. There was the a first, Xerox Alto in 73? First Alto, but it like evolved. The first machine was introduced in 73, a decade before mass market GUI machines, but it wasn't until it was 79. Oh, that's right. That was, like, that was like a decade before Mac. Yeah, Mac was 1984. Yeah, 79 was the fateful visit you described. And apparently he cut some deal with them where they could like get stock or slank and he could steal all their good ideas since he'd already done it. But one of the things interesting, so the, to your point about who bought it, they cost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. They made 2,000 units roughly total that they I sold. once saw one in production actually at the print shop at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, it's funny. It says over a half of those were only used in Xerox labs, those 2,000. Yeah. 500, they don't know where they were used. 500 were used in universities, almost all okay. uh, universities. That but, explains it. Uh, and that was what the Lisa and Macintosh were built on. And it was also the first place to introduce what they referred to, I guess, as the desktop metaphor. So it is right. their fault that for like 30 years, Microsoft was like looking around a frigging office and they're like, what else could we name something Talk after? About this? trash can. What, what if it's a briefcase? How about briefcase? a briefcase? <laughs> about a briefcase? Cause yeah. you carry it with you. It's just like a briefcase, except you stick stuff in it all day and then you go find a disc and you punch yeah. a hole in the disc. Yeah. The trash can's even better cause Mac had the trash can. So Windows couldn't use that. So they're like, what else could we use? Recycling Recycle bin. <laughs> cause it's we take the bits. We give you the bits back after yeah. you don't need them anymore for this. You hey, can yeah, reuse them for something else. Can. Really. Better than a trash can. There's folders. We got windows in here. That's right. Is there a door? What could we use a door for? The start menu had a door, didn't yeah. it at one point? So this is sort of like, if this were a rock and roll album, what would it be? I mean, this is like Beatles White Album or something? Oh, or, Eternal I mean, Flame by the Bengals. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I agree. So Every week I your, try to say that. I don't get a lot of music. openings. I was ready. I don't know if I agree so much 100% with your music <laughs> criticism, though, Jay. No, I mean, like, this is like a legendary 
seminal computer of massive importance that itself was never important, but just kind of contains the seed of every single important. This is the Lenny Bruce of computers. Was he a oh, musician of so some we're sort? looking for comedian. Some underappreciated musician. Yeah, something in its time it was underappreciated. It wasn't very good. It wasn't oh, really completely but, usable, but it had every single new idea was kind of in it. It's like how without Lenny Bruce, there never could have been a Pauly Shore who rose to prominence in the way. Yeah. He, really? Yeah. You accepted Pauly Shore as a natural evolution of Lenny Bruce? Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, absolutely. Draw <laughs> <laughs> a direct line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the next right. amazing part is that Y Combinator somehow got donated from Alan Kay, who's the guy that invented half of these things, and a bunch of other things that became true much, much, much later. Like Alan Kay invented this idea of the Dynabook, which is literally an iPad. Literally. I mean, go read it. But he was writing about it in the 60s. Like, you're going to carry it around. It's going to be like a book. You'll be able to touch it. It'll be easy to use. It'll communicate with people. It's going to be amazing. And for 20 years, everybody thought he was the craziest crackpot. And then eventually iPad came out, and by that time we had forgotten Alan Kay, but he had invented the whole thing. And it's sort of a sci-fi kind of way. He had one of these Xerox Altos just sitting in the garage or whatever, and he donated it to some bored geeks at Y Combinator, and they said, let's get this thing to work. So we'll put some links in the show notes, and it's absolutely friggin' amazing to read the story of how they're like, I would have no idea how you get this thing to work, the number of things that could be broken or wrong about that thing. It's sort of infinite. And they have managed through the sheer power of electrical engineering to make this thing run again that's awesome and then they're going to show it at demo day and raise 40 million dollars <laughs> on running a xerox alto it was not and everybody will be like that's not, really not that good <laughs> that computer is not so great no no people will be falling all over themselves to invest one of the things that i thought was cool about the alto is that it had a portrait screen instead of a landscape screen so oh, it yeah, was like small. meant to show oh, yeah. you a WYSIWYG 8 by 11 piece of paper so it could show an entire page at once and in those days, most of the expensive computers that were being sold were being sold for word processing, certainly the desktop ones that were being sold to offices. And what Xerox should theoretically be interested in was word processing. So they had this gigantic innovation of just turning the CRT on its side so you could get the tall image. I remember it was the Commodore 128 where like it made all the letters half as wide so it could fit twice as many across the screen for word processing. So proud of itself. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Commodore. You had to hold down the 2 and the 8 when you booted it up to open it in 128. Or no, the 64. You had to hold it in 64 if you wanted to play the games. I didn't have that one. You have the whole generation. That John. sounds cool. Oh, Commodore 64 is great. How are we doing on time? We got great. time. for Let's do one more, one more news, news, one more news item. item. All right, here we go. Daily Rounds, a service for doctors to seek advice from others in their field, announced that it had received an undisclosed amount of funding from Excel Partners. Daily $5. Daily Rounds founder Dr. Deepu Sabine said the service was inspired by Stack Overflow. Yay! I want some of that money. I want 10%. He told TechCrunch that he was, quote, taken by the way engineers use the site to communicate about their work and challenges. After learning more about Stack Overflow, he saw a potential for similar service in the medicine field. This is awesome. I am very much in favor of this, and I hope it works. Daily Rounds. Yeah. Any, any feedback? So yeah, so this is we interesting. Support the idea of doctors asking each other. So I think anything that helps questions. anything that helps doctors is obviously awesome. Yeah. Not because they promote health and help people, but because my wife is one, and so it's good. She'll use it and she'll understand what you do at your day job. But one of the things with doctors is we talked back. We we're looking at other sites. I chat my wife and others about professional sites like this. One challenge with sites for doctors or people like them. They're super nervous talking about sort of work product or best practices in an area where patients might consume it. So I think with a site like this for doctors, I'm sort of authentication is critical. Like you got to be able to figure out like everyone here is pretty much a doctor or appears to be. They actually talk about how many they've certified are doctors because most doctors don't want to be going on a site being like, so, you know, I'm doing kind of this chest surgery tomorrow and I'm just wondering like, which ventricle would you cut first? <laughs> you don't want to do that if patients might be reading it. That's kind of more you want to see it. 
Yeah, there's other sites that are where doctors could talk to patients, like Real Self. Real Self, like I that. was yeah, bring my up wife that sort of, yeah. Uses, she uses them. But if you're talking more about sharing knowledge, doctors, sort of like lawyers, have a discomfort doing it in front of potential patients, clients, et cetera. So you kind of have to have some way to confirm everyone here is in some way certified. But we're always happy if we're inspiring doctors sharing information. That is obviously awesome. Yeah. Have we seen what it actually looks like? I'm trying to look. I think it's an app. It's only mobile. It's odd, but yeah, that's what it looked like to me. They could just license Stack Overflow Enterprise and save themselves a bunch of money building softwares. And an app? I don't think Stack Overflow Enterprise doesn't support mobile. No. Helping everyday right. superheroes take evidence-based treatment decisions. I love right. evidence-based. I love that, that term. That did not come up once in the debates last night. Evidence-based. No, the implicit bias did. That was kind of interesting. I was happy to see that getting. Was it implicit bias or? Did it? Right. Yeah, implicit or, bias. Or the other term yeah. that means the same thing. I forget. But yeah, Hillary Clinton brought it up. Okay. Maybe Lester did, but Hillary Clinton spoke to it. And she gave us the right answer, which is not like this group has implicit bias. The point of implicit bias is most people have it. We all have yeah, it. Yeah, recognizing yourself. Anyway. That was a good answer when she gave it. Well, you've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow podcast number 89, recorded Tuesday, September 27th, 2016, at Stack Overflow headquarters. This podcast has been brought to you by the Noctitut language. Noctitut speakers can communicate with people throughout the circumpolar region from Point Barrow in Alaska to Greenland. Also, National Voter Registration Day. Don't forget to register to vote. Go to www.voteplz.org or just go to Google and type vote. But you say you don't know how to go to Google? I know a 10-year-old who could do that. It's easy, people. Our audio engineer is Carlos Hernandez, ex-audio engineer Alex Miller. The audio editor is David Greenlee. Our producer is Jess Pardew. Our executive producer is Caitlin Pike. For Jay Hanlon, David Floyd, Jenny Lani, it's hockey. I'm Joel Spolsky. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. So I don't know what you said in Esperanto, but the reason we referenced Esperanto was there was some feedback from the Esperanto site that we were, as usual, acting like sort of, you know, joking, buffoons. joking, idiotic buffoons who joke about that, which we do not understand, which we'll probably do again. It is part of the humor, yeah. but I get why yeah. it, it felt a little bit dismissive. The joke is mostly what we don't know. Hey, I spent a year learning Esperanto in high school. You did? Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. So you didn't talk about that. Well, he might have said it in Esperanto. We don't know. So anyway, somebody posted on the blog post. The one thing I want to mention to the audience that they suggested, you go check out a video. So if you want to understand Esperanto, go check out a video. We'll post a link, but it's from someone called Lindsay Does Languages. It's an interesting video. If you want to learn more about Esperanto from not a bunch of idiots joking around about it, watch the video. I'd recommend it to a friend. Listen, if you learn Inuktitut, you can speak with people all the way from Alaska to Greenland. Do they all speak the same language? No, those are different dialects, but they're mutually intelligible. But they're not similar, right? It's more like they're India, which is very and different. At worst, no, no, no. They're very, no? very, very similar. And at worst, it would take you about a week if you knew one to learn the next one. I don't know. I took French for seven years and was ultimately banned from studying any more French in my college. It might take me longer. <laughs> they're like, get out! Get out! <laughs> I don't think it's important who made the comments, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Should programming language count towards your foreign language requirement, please go to Twitter and write a tweet, hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast, bro or con.